Glory to God. We'll just... Man, can I pray for all of us? Thank you, Father. Lord, you can see into all of our hearts. You can see all of our needs. You can see all the, the things that are speaking to us, all the noise that tries to cloud our minds. Father, we come together just to behold you and just to behold your life and what it means that you've given us your life, Father. Lord, just let all the noise, all the distractions, all the thoughts of what we need, let them just fade into the background, Lord, and let us just be immersed in you. Let us ju just be immersed in your life, Father. Let every voice be made silent. Let all the noise be sent away, Lord, and let people just find all their needs being met, whether there's a, a physical need, Lord. Let them receive strength today from beholding your presence, whether there be an emotional need, Lord. Let their emotions be stabilized in your presence today, whether there be um, just a, a peace, a need for peace, Lord. Let their anxieties be quieted in your presence today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Um, you know, the Father refreshes us with his life. The, the book of Acts talks about looking forward to the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And it's talking about the Father coming and baptizing the earth in his life. Right? Well, we, we, we know we will have that. and We know heaven and earth are going to collide. But we're not left in the place where we're just waiting to be refreshed by the presence of the Lord. Because that same baptism, that same baptism that's going to happen to this whole earth by God's life, man, we've already received that baptism. We have the first fruits of that refreshing, right? We have the first fruits of the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord in the Old Testament would appear and come down and fill the temple. The tabernacle that was made with hands. Well, it was an earthly tabernacle there that was made with hands. And that earthly tabernacle that was there made with hands is talking and prophesying. One of the things it's prophesying of is us. We're an earthen vessel, right? And we were, we're the temple of God, Paul says. Paul would come and say, know ye not that you're the temple of the living God? And so, man, God has baptized us in his life. So we could be refreshed by his presence so that we could be refreshed with his life as we walk in this earth. Right. And so God poured out of himself onto all of us, his Holy Spirit, the spirit of his life. So we could live in this world being continuously refreshed by him, by his life. So we could live in this world with his life in his presence continuously exalted in our sight where that's the thing that we see as we walk in this earth. And I'm telling you, there's a refreshing that happens when your eyes become fixated on that. Hallelujah. Right? And so, man, that's what the, the, the Father desires, to refresh you with his presence. And so I just want to look at some, some verses in light of that and just bring out the relational component of this. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. That sounds kind of wordy, doesn't it? Sounds kind of intellectual. You can kind of read that and lose sight of it's just a relational thing that's being talked about there. You can read that and get lost in, well, what does the Lord want me to do? 
What is this saying about that? But this is a relational thing that's actually being talked about there, right? And one of the things that's happened to the modern church, I think, is our rendering of Scripture, our reading of the Bible has become very mechanical and intellectual. And we've gotten real caught up in our doctrines, right? And making our doctrines and forming our doctrines and reading verses for the purpose of seeing what doctrine is there and trying to establish a doctrine when we read them, right? But our doctrines are only so good that we see that they're supposed to be catching us up into this beautiful relationship with the Father, right? Through the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So every doctrine is only so good that it reveals to you your life with God. It's only so good that it comes and reveals something to you about God and your life with God. And if you're not reading verses from that perspective, if you're not looking at doctrines from that relational perspective, you will get caught away in your intellect and you will get caught away in things like systematic theology. And you'll think that reading the scriptures is about trying to be right instead of seeing they're supposed to catch you up in this intimacy with the Father, the same intimacy you see Jesus have with the Father, right? And so what you want to understand is the doctrine of God dropped like dew and that Jesus is God's doctrine. And God's doctrine is with the intent for you to be immersed in his presence. His doctrine is with the intent that you could be flooded by his life. His doctrine is with the intent that you could be caught up into him for the purpose of all your needs and all the things you desire for life be to be satisfied. That's what his doctrine is for. And so if anything you're trying to establish out of the Bible or in verses isn't accomplishing that or pointing to that, you're misunderstanding the scripture and you're reading the scripture from an intellectual place instead of reading the scripture from a place of beauty, a place of romance, right? The scriptures are much more like a poem than they are an algebra equation. And we've tried to look at them like they're an algebra equation. But really the scriptures are telling us the story of God romancing us and him romancing our stony heart, right? Because we had a heart that was hardened to his love for us. We had a heart that couldn't see him accurately. And because we couldn't see him accurately, we had a heart that couldn't experience his love. And the scriptures about what is what this guy come to do to romance our stony heart and to give us a heart that was soft, to give us a heart that was of flesh, a heart that was after his own heart, meaning to give us a heart that could see the loving kindness that was always in his heart towards us and to where we could see what he's done to love us unto life. Anything outside of that that you're looking in the scripture for, you're missing it. And anything you're describing about the scripture that doesn't work towards you being caught up in God's life, you're missing it. Right? And so that's, that's how we want to look at the scripture. Now, so when God says, I'm going to write my law in your minds and on your hearts, he tells you what the purpose of that would be for right after. Does he say so that you will obey the commandments? No, he doesn't say that. He, right after, he tells you what the purpose of him doing that would be for. And do you know what he says what the purpose of him doing that would be for? For you to see that he is with you to be the God you need and for you to be set free to live as his people. That's what he says the whole purpose is for, right? So clearly what it means is people couldn't see he was the God they need. And people weren't living as his people. Do you know what it means to live as God's people? It means to live your life seeing that this guy is your food for life. It means for you to live all your days beholding everything you need for life and godliness in him, right? 
and him there with you to give it to you as a free gift. In, in Deuteronomy, to quote, uh, not Deuteronomy, to quote Ezekiel. Well, the author of Hebrews, first of all, he's quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is what he's doing there. He's referencing an Old Testament scripture. And to quote Ezekiel, it talks about the same language, except Ezekiel comes and says, I'll give you a new heart. That's the same thing as I will write my law on your heart and put my law in your mind. And to, to quote what Ezekiel 36 says, it says the purpose of God doing that is so we could walk in his statutes and his judgments, right? Now, his statutes and his judgments are not pertaining to what you're going to do for him. His statutes and his judgments are not pertaining to what he demands for you. Do you know what his statutes and his judgments are? If we want to use uh, Old Testament language, if we want to use what the Old Testament scriptures would say, his statutes or judgments are for you to have one God, the Lord your God. For you to see that he is with you to provide you with life to the degree that your, your desire for life is so satisfied that you don't have any other gods, meaning that you don't look to the strength of your own hand to try to gather peace and love and comfort and joy to yourself because you see God there with you having all those things in himself for you to give you as a free gift. That's what it would mean to walk in the statutes and judgments of God, right? To use New Testament language, to walk in the statutes and judgments of God would be for you to call upon the name of the Lord. And calling upon the name of the Lord means to cry out, Father. It means to cry out, Father. On the cross, Jesus had one God, the Lord his God. He had no other gods, meaning he didn't look to his ability to clothe himself for comfort. He didn't look to his ability to preserve his own life for comfort. He didn't look to his ability to avoid the cross or to gather life to himself from the world. He didn't look to the treasure that was in the world in order to try to comfort himself or to gather peace and love and joy to himself. He didn't look to the strength of his own hand. He didn't even open his mouth to defend himself when they came and called him a sinner. But do you know what he did? He cried out, Father. He had one God, the Lord his God. And so he, he was walking in the statutes and judgments of God. Do you know why he was walking in the statutes and judgments of God? Because the statutes and judgments of God come to tell you that God is the Father that you need. So that in you being persuaded, this guy is with me to father my life, to father his life in me, you would be made as a little child. And you would no longer be living in the earth as if you were an orphan. And so the purpose of God coming in and writing his law on our hearts, when Hebrews says God will write his law on our hearts, it's talking about a relational intimacy with God. It's not some mechanical thing. Even when we say that, he will write his law on our hearts. That don't sound relational, does it? But do you know what gives it away that it is relational? The heart. In the end of it, him talking about being our God and us being his people. And the reason the author quotes those verses is he's trying to show these people that were Hebrews, that had the Old Testament scriptures. He's trying to connect all those things that they were looking at in the Old Testament scriptures to Jesus Christ and what God had done in Jesus to provide himself a lamb, to sanctify them from sin and death, to perfect them from sin and death. 
So he comes talking about that. So when Hebrew says God writes his law on our hearts, don't get it twisted, guys. What he's talking about is relational intimacy there, the kind of intimacy there is between a child and their father, right? We could even quote Jesus where Jesus says, unless you become as a little child, you won't experience the kingdom of heaven, right? Well, God wouldn't come and demand that you act like a little child. What God would come and do is write a word on your heart by revealing something to you about himself. And in that word that he revealed to you about himself being written on your heart, what would happen is you would become as a little child. You would become as one whose innocence was restored because you were no longer carrying the burden of caring for your own life, but your eyes were completely enamored with the care that God had taken for your life when he conquered death in the flesh at the cross and raised Jesus from the dead and got it right to hide your life in Jesus with him, right? That's how he would do it. So when God writes his law on your heart, he's not trying to make you follow orders. He's trying to make you as a little child. And the word law in Hebrew just means teaching and instruction. It means a word. And so God's trying to write a word on your heart about who and what he is to you and what's in his heart for you so that in you seeing that about him, you would begin to live as a little child. And you would find the Sermon on the Mount being born inside of you, not where you're trying not to take thought for your life. You ever tried not to take thought for your life? It don't work, does it? I'm not telling you, the more you try not to take thought of your own life, you'll find that you're taking more thought of your own life. He comes to write something on your heart by showing you something in himself. I promise you, when the Father shows up in your midst and you see him, it will speak. It speaketh. And what it speaks, that word, that teaching is what will be written on your heart. And the intent is for you to live as a little child on account of you seeing that he's not a deadbeat dad. He's the father you've always needed. And he was always with you being the father you always needed. And that's what would be the fulfillment of the Old Testament language that says that, they, that I can be their God and they can be my people. It's really that I can be their father and they will be my children. That's what it means, guys. That's what he's trying to say. That's what God wants more than anything. He wants to be your father. And he wants for you to come and dwell in his house. A house where he's prepared a table. A house where he has placed the food that produces life on the table. A house where he provides the garments. A house where he is the one that provides everything. That all the provision in the house is him. It comes from him. And he's wanting you to come and dwell in that house with him. Not as a servant. It's not like the prodigal son, where the prodigal son finally said, well, after he wasted his inheritance, it went and dwelled in the sloppy mud with the pigs. And he said, well, at least the, ser the servants even have it better in my father's house. The angels even have it better than that in my father's house. Let me go home and be a servant in my father's house. He's not looking for you to come be a servant in the house. That's what turns the house of God into a den of thieves and robbers where you think the house of God is the place where God is demanding a sacrifice and an offering from you. That's not the house of God. That's not a house of worship. That's an unrighteous offering. That's where the people start to become robbed. No. He's wanting you to come and dwell with him in his house and for you to partake of the life he provides in the house. He's wanting to offer you something. 
When the prodigal son come home to just be a servant, who gave who something? Yeah, and would the father hear anything about what he was going to do? No. That's what the law God writes on our hearts is with the intent to, to, to bring about. It's that the, fire, the father desires to serve us with his life. He desires to nurture us unto life. He desires to give us the comfort we need. He desires to give us the peace and the love and the joy we need. He desires that. He's got a burning in his bones, right? And he wants to draw us home. Come home, right? He's wanting you to come home so that he can offer himself to you, so that he can offer the life he has in himself to you, and you could find yourself receiving nutrients from his life. And so he comes and writes this law in your hearts to draw you to himself. And there's no accident that we should interpret this verse like that in Hebrews. For people that like to interpret the scriptures, go and read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. What does it say? Come unto the throne of grace with what? Boldness. How are you going to come to the throne of grace with boldness? Let me tell you, he's going to write a word on your heart. And the word he's going to write on your heart is a word about himself. That's how you come into his presence with boldness, right? Because you see something about him that makes you feel safe in his presence. You see something about him that causes you to feel unjudged and unblamed in his presence, where he's not looking at you to try to find fault with you. He's not pointing at your nakedness, but rather he's there with a robe of life to clothe you in, just like the father clothed the prodigal son in. Right? And that brings you to the throne of grace with boldness. For what reason? That you could find help in your time of need. That you could find the grace and the strength that you need. That you could find the compassion and the comfort that you need. Well, where do you think you find those things from when you come to the presence of the Lord? You find them in Him. You don't find them in what you bring. It doesn't say bring your offering with boldness into the presence of the Lord. What you find when you get into the presence of the Lord is that this guy has offered himself to you. It goes even further. You can read into Hebrews chapter 11, and what does it say? Without faith, it's impossible for God to be pleased. Because without faith dwelling in a person's heart, they won't come to him. And the reason why they won't come to him is because they won't see that he has a reward in his hand to give them. So the law God writes on our hearts, you know what it is? The faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ. What was the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ? The Father. The Father is with you to justify you. The Father is with you to clothe upon you. The Father is with you to comfort you from your affliction. The Father is with you to serve you with the peace and the love and the joy you long for. The Father is with you to defend your name. The Father is with you to conquer the death that's in the world and to take your life up out of the miry clay and exalt it to the place where the moth and rust in this world can never touch it again. That's what he's writing on your heart. See, all those things are deeply relational. But just be honest. If we're just honest with ourselves, we read the Bible so often, right? Did we get, how many of y'all got all that out of that verse when you read it? <laughs> Can we turn the air down, babe? Glory to God. That's why he writes his law in our hearts. He's trying to catch us up into this thing. He's trying to catch us up into, thank you. 
It gets cooler. Walking in the cool of the day. He writes his law on our hearts, guys, to catch us up into fellowship with him, where we're communing with him as father. That's the whole point, where we see him as the source of our life and the source of our strength and justice and peace and love and joy. That's what he's trying to write on our heart. It's God wanting to come and restore our innocence, right? By showing us the thought he's taken to care for our lives so that we're drawn to him, right? When we need rest and comfort to where when we find ourselves feeling overwhelmed, or we find ourselves being pressed and stressed beyond measure, when we find ourselves feeling that way, man, he comes to write something on our hearts that when that happens to us, we find this, this thing happening in us that's almost instinctive. This is the, easy, the easiest way for me to try to describe it, where our hearts are crying out Abba, meaning we're looking to him when we need comfort. We're looking to him when we need strength. We're looking to him when we need an advocate, when we need to be justified, instead of to ourselves. That's the point of him writing this law on our hearts. Right. And the reason for, for those things is, is so that our hearts can be filled with abundance and we can be animated by his strength as we walk in this world, because he is our strength. Right. But if we're not coming to him, if we're not being caught up into this intimacy with him, man, it becomes difficult to experience the strength that is your birthright. God is your birthright. The life he has in himself is your birthright. There's an inheritance for you in God. It's God himself. It's his life. That's your inheritance. The thing is, is he's trying to get you to come to partake in his inheritance, right? He's coming to try and get you to partake with him in the life that is your inheritance because he knows that life has in it everything you need, all the nutrients you need. He knows that within that life is the satisfaction for every desire you've ever had. So how can I get them here? I know I'll come and write a law on their heart. You see what he's doing? And I know God's not selfish. So don't misunderstand what I'm about to say is if God is selfish. But God also has a desire and his desires. He wants more than anything to be your God. He wants that more than anything. He wants more than anything to be the father that you need. And make no mistake about it, even the world says all the problems we have in the world is because of a lack of fathers. And we say that carnally. I'll say it spiritually. All the problems we have in the world isn't because of a lack of earthly fathers. It's because that there's a lack of knowing that the father of lights in heaven is the father that we need. He, wants, he, he ever lives to care for your life. God. He ever lives to nurture you unto life and to comfort you if we talk about God waking up into the day, you know, we talk about a person waking up and the thing that sits on their mind every day. I don't know if God sleeps or doesn't sleep. I don't know that eternal life needs to sleep. But if we talk about God waking up, man, when God wakes up, the first thing he's thinking about is wanting to nurture you unto life and comfort you from the afflictions of the world. The first thing he's thinking about is he's wanting you to experience his love and his joy and his peace and his patience. He's wanting nothing more for your life than for you to see his good work and on account of you seeing his good good work. You now walk in his good work and you have a heart filled with abundance and a life animated by his strength in his rest. That's what he's ever living for. That's what he wants for himself more than anything. That's what it means for him to be your God. He's wanting to be your God. And he's thinking, how can that happen? I know I'll come and write a law in their hearts and that will cause them to see they're my people. 
right? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I'm going to read that again because sometimes it could be la, la, la in our heads. It can, that can even happen to you when you're sitting in a church service. You ever sitting there listening to somebody talk and all of a sudden you feel like the words are just like, what did that dude just say? That's okay. That's okay. The Holy Spirit is in you and the Holy Spirit will take you where you need to go and you can go back and listen again. Right? Hallelujah. For I desire, this is Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. God's talking about sacrifice. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Hmm. There's a lot about to be said about all of that. Initially, and I think there's a lot of confusion in the world today. I think there's some people that read that and think God never wanted any sacrifice at all. That even the idea of a sacrifice is now wrong, and it was the devil that wanted to sacrifice. Well, that's a completely confused way of rendering that verse, right? So it can be confusing reading that because we know God's the one who told them to bring the sacrifice. So why, why would God come and say, I desired mercy, not sacrifice. I desired the knowledge of God and not burnt offerings. Okay, and what I want to say to you is God's not saying that he never desired a sacrifice. As we'll, as we'll see later, God actually desires a sacrifice more than anything. That's actually the thing that's in his heart to show us the love he has. Right? It's actually the thing that's in his heart that will actually cleanse his image in our hearts, that will actually show himself to be our father, is through a sacrifice. So he's not saying that he never desired a sacrifice. What he's trying to do is he's trying to tell us what the purpose of there being a sacrifice was for. You see, because people's idea of why there was a sacrifice had gotten perverted. Right? And people thought that God demanded the sacrifice from the sense that he wanted the people to offer him something. That he demanded sacrifices and offerings for himself. And that's why these sacrifices were in the Old Testament scriptures. And so God is coming and saying, no, 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 you guys are completely misunderstanding the whole point of what the sacrifice is about. He says the sacrifice, the point of the sacrifice is the knowledge of God. Right? The point of the sacrifice is for you to know that my heart is filled with loving kindness. That's the, the whole point of the sacrifices. And so God says, I gave you this sacrificial system, not because I demanded you to make an offering to me, not because I demanded you to come and give me a sacrifice or give me gifts. He said, the reason why I gave the sacrificial offerings is so that you could see that my heart was filled with loving kindness towards you and you might come to know me. That's the knowledge of God. The whole point of these sacrifices is that you would come to know me. It's about knowing me and the loving kindness in my heart. And you guys think it's about me demanding you give me something. So he comes and makes it, making it straight. No, I desired mercy. Mercy there is said in the Hebrew, which means loving kindness and the knowledge of God, not burnt offering. So it wasn't about you making a burnt offering for me. It was about you coming to know the loving kindness in my heart through these sacrificial systems. That's what it was about. 
You might think, well, how's that? How can we get that out of all that? It's like, are we just supposed to know that? Well, it's difficult to comprehend God when you're busy with the carnal mind. Right? But these were the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and they were steeped in Jewish history and the knowledge of the oral tradition, which means they passed down stories. We passed down stories about Cinderella <laughs> and Rapunzel. <laughs> right? We passed down stories about that. Do you know what the little Hebrew children passed down stories by mouth about? They passed down stories about God and Noah and Adam and Eve and Enoch and Abraham. And if they would have mixed their stories about Abraham and Abraham coming and saying, which is even written in their law, God will provide himself a sacrifice. They would have seen all these sacrificial offerings that the law spoke of are actually God prophesying to us that he will provide a lamb. Because it's supposed to say something to you when God comes and offers a sacrifice and he provides a sacrifice. It's supposed to say something to you about him and what he feels for you. It's what it's supposed to do. I promise you it says something completely different about him if you think he's demanding that you offer the sacrifice, that you make the offering. It says something completely opposite. And it turns the house of Lord into a, the place that isn't a house of worship anymore. It turns it into a place of, of robbery. Because you're not coming there and receiving what the Lord provides for you. And in receiving what the Lord provides for you, you're not finding a righteous offering coming out of you. Which you know what the only righteous offering you could ever even give the Lord is? Abba! Into your hands I commit my desire for life. That's the only righteous offering you can even offer God. And that's the reason why the house of God is called a house of worship. Because you walk into the house of God and you see that he didn't ask you to bring the offering. He didn't ask you to prepare the table. He didn't ask you to bring a gift. He's the one who provided himself as the gift. He provided himself as the lamb. And you see that on a table in the house of God is a table he prepared. And you see that he provided the life or the meat that could feed you with life onto the table. And when you walk in there and see this guy provided you with himself and you be find yourself healed by his life, do you know what comes out of your mouth a righteous offering father hebrews 10 5 talking about the same dynamic the sacrifice and offering and whether you desire it whether he desire it desired it hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 wherefore when he comes into the world he sets sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. Now, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one that came into the world and says, sacrifices and offerings you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. And what, what it's talking about is Jesus coming to the conclusion that God never wanted sacrifices and offerings for man, that it was never about that but that God wanted to provide a sacrifice for man. And that's what Jesus sees when he starts looking into the scriptures, right? You never wanted something from man. You wanted to provide man with something because you were wanting to be their God. You were wanting to be their father. And so when you look at the sacrifices and, and offerings in the Old Testament, it's never God wanting something from us. It's never him wanting us to give him something. It's about God desiring to provide himself to the people so that we could be healed by his life. 
it was actually God. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament, you know, Peter calls the Old Testament scriptures a word of prophecy. And so the sacrifices and the offerings in the Old Testament were God prophesying to everyone that he will provide himself a lamb. He will shed his own blood to redeem his people from death. If you want to be the God of a people who are dead in sin, do you know the only way you can be a God of a people who are dead in sin? Is if you enter into the world and you take their sin and death into yourself. It's if you come and stand in the gap. We used to say that, right? We're standing in the gap. As if you come and stand in the gap and take the sin and death that is wounding your people into your own self so that you could deliver them from sin and death. In order to be the God of a people, you'd have to deliver them. That's what makes you their God. And if these people are dead in sin, that's what they're needing to be delivered from. And so God come to demonstrate that he's our God, that he's our father by coming into the earth and providing himself as the lamb by shedding his own blood that can now deliver us from the sin and death that was bruising us. And Jesus sees that's what it's all about. You don't desire a sacrifice from them. You desire to provide yourself as a sacrifice. And so God, he knows he's our God. But we're not seeing him as our God, and we're not seeing him as our people. We're not seeing ourselves as his people. And so he feels compassion for us. He sees us being bruised with death, and he wants to care for our lives. He wants to serve us with life. He wants us to know he's the father that we need. So what he did, and this is what Jesus says, a body you have prepared for me. That's what he says. You never desire to sacrifice an offering for them, but you desire to prepare a body for me, right? And so what God did was he prepared a body for his word. Jesus is his word. John says the word is God. And so God prepared a body for his word because that's the only way God could offer up his own body to be broken. And he did that. He prepared a body for his word so that in him offering up his own body to be broken, he could remove the reign of death and pour out of himself his life. He wanted there to be meat in his house. He wanted there to be something in his house, a table that could be filled with a meat that could feed his people with life. And so he prepares a table for us. And on the table is his own body, broken for us, oozing with life, oozing with healing from sin and death so that we could feast on that table and that we could be healed and refreshed by his life right? That's what a body you have prepared for me. You know, in Matthew 21, Jesus goes into the temple and he runs off the money changers, right? And the exchangers. You know what it says they were selling? Sacrifices. And he said, you made the house of God, my house, into a den of robbers. You know, Jesus is saying there, He's saying that they got the people thinking that they're the ones that have to pay for the sacrifice and they're the ones that have to offer the sacrifice. But the people were supposed to come into the house and on the altar was already supposed to be a sacrifice, right? The point was that God would provide himself a sacrifice and that the people could come into the house of God and just feed on the meat that God provided. That's the whole point there. And they were robbing the people and they were robbing God 
It's like Malachi. If you want to really understand Matthew 21, those verses 12 through 14, and you like reading scriptures, go and read Malachi. The whole book of Malachi is actually pertaining to what God did here and what Jesus did here. The, they were, the priests were robbing God. And you know what they were robbing God of? Being the God of the people. Because they weren't teaching the people that God was their provision for life. Right? They were teaching the people that it was about what they could offer God. If you read chapter 1 in Malachi, it says they offered an unrighteous offering. Right? What's the unrighteous offering? Thinking that you're going to offer God something, and then what you give God, that's going to be your food for life. No, no, no. It's what God gives you that is your food for life. So a house of prayer is a house of worship. Right? Well, what is a house of worship? It's supposed to be something that nourishes people with the life of God. It's supposed to be the place that you come where you're nourished unto life by God himself. And you might say, well, Greg, how do you know that when you read those verses? Well, after Jesus got rid of the people that were selling sacrifices, which was telling the people God demanded for them to offer a sacrifice, what does Jesus do immediately after that? He heals. And who does he heal? He heals a blind man and a lame man. And where does he do it? He does it in the house of God. And why does he do it in the house of God? Because he's trying to declare to the people that the house of God is not the place where you come where God demands something for you. It's the place where you come where God provides healing for you. It's the place where you come where God has provided himself as the lamb. It's the place where you come where God has offered up his own body to be broken for you so that you could have his eternal life, his indestructible life loosed on top of you and for you to be healed in his presence. And the reason it's a house of worship is because when you're healed by the presence of God, what comes out of your mouth is Father. Only a father gives up his life for his children. Only a father will lay down his life for his children. And when you see that God shed his own blood, that God never wanted a sacrifice from you, but what he wanted was to lay down his life for you, that when he saw your life being broken and beaten and battered and bruised, something inside of him said it wasn't right, and he came in your defense, he came to stand with you as your God, as your father, and he allowed his own body to be torn and broken by sin and death, so that in his body being broken, there would be meat in his house that could draw you to him that could bring you into his presence where you could be healed by his life listen man that's when you see there's only one way to describe this kind of a guy it's father Abba. that's the law he writes on our hearts if you want to i said a bunch of things you want to make it real simple. The law he writes on his heart is, I will provide myself a lamb to remove the death that's tormenting you. I will provide myself a lamb to serve you with my life. When you see that, you start, love, you start seeing that guy loves you. You start seeing the loving kindness in his heart. And you start seeing this guy is my provision for life. He's with me. He cares for my needs. This guy loves my life more than his own life. This guy rather die than let me die. That starts working something in you. You know, I got a friend, the world would call him a heathen. You know, to this day, that guy would die on the spot for me. He, would, he wouldn't even think twice about it. He would come and take a bullet for me right now. And this guy has struggled in his life. And so it'd be easy for me to cast him away, right? And just be like, well, he's off in the darkness. How long will he be in the darkness? Forget him. 
But, you know, there's something that brings forth an affection in my heart towards this guy. And you know what it is? It said, I see this guy would actually die for me. I don't know exactly why. I don't understand it, but this guy would actually die for me. And it brings something forth in me where I see this guy is my friend. That has persuaded me that this guy is my friend for life. And that's the same kind of thing with God writing his law on our hearts. Right? That's the purpose of the sacrifice. That's the purpose of what Jesus does. And so Jesus cleanses the temple, right? He cleanses the temple. And he heals the people. And he heals the people to declare to the people or to make the Father known. Remember, Jesus, the, the scripture says that the sacrifice was about the people knowing God. And so there's Jesus in the temple healing people, right? There's Jesus in the temple, which is the house of God, which is the place where the sacrifice would be offered on the altar. There's Jesus showing the people that God doesn't demand something from them, but that God's filled with loving kindness towards them and that God is with them to be their provision for life and to heal them. He was making God known in the temple. He was cleansing the temple. Listen, guys, who is the temple? You're the temple. I'm the temple. We're the temple. We're the temple of God. We're the place God finds his rest. We're the place God calls home. And what happened was our hearts were defiled because God's image was marred in our hearts. We thought God demanded something from us instead of seeing God wanted to give us everything. We think God demanded us to bring forth life and to come with him with the life we could bring forth instead of seeing this guy wants to give us life so much that he'll even come and allow his own body to be broken so that he could heal us from death and bring forth his life in us. And so God's name had been blasphemed in our hearts. And what that did was it hardened our hearts to the love of God. We weren't knowing his love. We weren't coming into his presence with boldness. We couldn't come into his presence with boldness. We were so filled with fear and anxiety at the thought of being in his presence. We were so filled with the thought that he would condemn us if he saw us. We were so filled with the thought that he would uncover our nakedness that, man, if we would have walked into his presence, we would have died. We had a caricature in our, in our hearts about God that wasn't according to the truth. And so God says in Ezekiel, I'm going to take out of them a stony heart. The stony heart is a heart that's hardened to his love. And I will sanctify my name in their hearts. I will cleanse my temple. How will he do that? By offering up his own body to be broken. By shedding his own blood to redeem us from death. That gives us a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh is soft. You see how you press that and it's soft? A heart of flesh is a heart that's soft to his love. It's a heart that sees he's full of loving kindness. That's what the sacrifice was all about. Isn't that what the scripture says? About you seeing his heart is filled with loving kindness. That's the soft heart he gives us. A heart that sees he's full of loving kindness. It's a heart that's after God's own heart. It's a heart where the image of God has been purified. That's what it means to have a pure heart. It doesn't mean you never have a bad thought. What it means is that the image of God has been purified in your heart on account of you seeing him providing himself as the lamb that will feed you with life. That's the whole point there, right? A soft heart is a heart that sees God is the father you need, that he's not a deadbeat dad. 
I mean, a lot of people want their relationship with their fathers to be healed. You know the first thing that will heal your relationship with your father? Is it for you to see that God is the father you need? The first thing that will heal your relationship with your dad is for you to see that God isn't a deadbeat dad. Because you know what will happen? All the desires you had for a father that you were putting on your, your earthly dad on the hook for, they'll all be removed because you'll find all those desires satisfied in God. And then what will happen is, is you'll find something called mercy and compassion coming out of your heart towards your father that may have failed you. But do you know the only reason what they failed, the only way they failed you in your life is they failed to be God. Do you know why? They also need God. We want someone to be our father that also needs a father. <laughs> right? I promise you when I was growing up, I wasn't looking to my older brother to be my dad. Do you know why? Because I saw he needed a dad. I saw when this guy fell down and broke his arm, he also cried like a baby and ran to dad, needing something from dad. So I wasn't going to look to him to be the dad that I needed. I needed someone that wasn't going to cry like that. I needed someone that they, when they looked at my arm broken and they looked at the blood broken, they didn't freak out and lose their mind. I needed someone that could comfort me in my affliction, right? And my older brother could never be that, so I never looked to him, right? Well, that's how we've kind of looked to our earthly fathers, and we put them on the hook, and it's caused great pain and duress in our lives, and it shaped our lives with what the world calls an orphan spirit, where we tried to get things from our earthly fathers that we could only get from God himself. And your earthly father is just like your sibling. He bleeds, and when he bleeds, he can't heal himself. He needs a healer. You see that? Listen, man, I know we have a carnal cry in this earth for fathers. And I don't say it's evil to have a father in the house. And I don't say it won't benefit your life in the world to have a father in the house. But the body of Christ ought not confuse earthly fathers with what the world needs. Because what the world needs is a revelation of everlasting fathers. What the world needs is a revelation of the God that gave his own body up to be broken. What the world needs is a revelation of the God that shed his own blood to redeem us from death. That's what the world needs a revelation of, right? Because that will cause them to no longer, people to no longer live as orphans. It will cause them to live in this world beholding the Father of lights and beholding his life with them in the father's presence in the father's life will be lifted up in their hearts and that's why god comes to write his law on his hearts on our hearts he comes to call something forth in you not by demanding it but by giving birth to it in you right and the way he calls it forth out of you is he offers up his own body to be the lamb and you start to see this guy you start to see the length, the width, the breadth, the depth that he went to care for your life. I mean, you're not going to know the length, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God unless you see the width, the length, the breadth, the depth that he went to to actually care for your life. And when you see that, that he prepared a body for his word, for himself, that he could offer himself, that there might be meat in his house. When you see that, what's coming out of your mouth is Father, right? And we'll finish with this, because we're talking about the presence of the Lord. Crying out, Abba, and we talked about this in the Bible study, 
crying out Abba, when the scriptures talk about crying out Father, crying out Abba, it's not just talking about a one-time occurrence. It's not talking about like, say the magic prayer so you can not go to hell and you can go to heaven. That's not the only thing that it's talking about. It's talking about God bringing something forth in your heart where who he is and the life he has in himself is exalted in your sight and you are continuously refreshed by his presence. Because I promise you, as you walk through this world, do you know, we're all old enough to know this. Is there ever a day goes by where you don't need something? Is there ever a day go by where you don't need strength? You don't need comfort? You don't need peace? That you don't need love? That you don't need joy? Well, crying forth Abba is something that God brings forth in you where you are continuously engaging with the Father because you see Him there and you see His life there and you see He's the Father that you need, meaning you seed all the nutrients you need for life, all the things, all the strength you need, all the peace you need, all the love you need, all the joy you need. You see it's there in Him and you see He's given Himself to you to provide that and you end up engaging with Him. You get caught up in this intimacy with Him. That's what crying out Abba is talking about. It's a continuous intimacy where you're continuously caught up with the Father. That when you find yourself feeling weak, something happens inside of yourself where you're, you're, you're looking to the Father because you're seeing the Father lifted up in your sight and you're seeing His life lifted up in your sight and you're seeing the strength that you need is found in Him. It's found in His life. And so now you're connecting with Him and you're talking with Him about His life. That's what it means to cry out, Abba. It means for you to be engaging with him on account of you seeing that he's the father that you need. I'm not giving you some law to work. Engage with God. I'm declaring to you the father. So that in you seeing the father and, that every, and, and seeing the life he has in himself is everything that you need, you'll be caught up in that with him. First John says it this way, that truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we desire for you to have that same fellowship. Well, what John is saying there is we've been caught up into this communion with the Father through the word of life that is Jesus Christ. We've been caught up into a communion with the Father where we've partaken of the Father's body himself. And what's happened in this fellowship is now we're walking in this world and we're beholding the life the Father has that he has given us in his son. And what's going on as we walk in this world is we're in this continuous fellowship with the Father that's centered around the life He's given us in His Son. And we're caught up with the childlikeness, with the wonderment, with an amazement about this life that the Father has in Himself. We're, we're, we're in wonderment and awe because this life can even make dead bones live. This life can even overcome sin and death in the flesh. This life can make everything that's crooked straight. This life can make things that are broken whole. This life can make things that are weak strong. This life can make things that had moth and rust on them no longer be able to be corrupted by moth and rust. This life is a sinless life. It can't be corrupted by the tribulation and the death that's in this world. And now we're in awe of this life. And now our lives, our fellowship with the Father is us walking through this earth caught up in a conversation with the Father about the life he has in himself and what it means that he's made us partakers with him in this life. What does it mean for me? There's strength for me in this life. And so now I'm talking with the Father about how the strength I need is in this life. 
I'm not beholding the weakness in my flesh, thinking that I don't have the strength I need because my flesh is weak. I'm not beholding the darkness and corruption in the earth, thinking I don't have what I need because of the darkness and the corruption in the earth. I'm beholding the life that's in God, that he's given me in his son Jesus. And now I'm talking with the Father about that life and what that life means to me even while I'm in this earthen vessel. And I promise you, it refreshes you with the presence of the Lord. Receive ye strength in the name of Jesus. Be ye made whole in the name of Jesus is what this life will do inside of you. It will call forth healing inside of you. It make dead bones live. Son of man, can these bones live? That's really the fellowship with the Father. Jesus said the Father has life in himself. And he was given that I would have that same life in myself. Jesus goes on to say, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Brothers and sisters, the father has a life in himself that superabounds over everything in this world, that fills all things, that supplies all things, that makes all the, weight places sat- the waste places saturated with life. Man, that's the life he's given us, right? And the law he writes on our hearts is to draw us to himself so we can start fellowshipping with him around this life. And we can start finding ourselves strengthened with that life. And we can start finding ourselves satisfied by that life. And we can start walking around in the world behind, with the life of God as the power behind our life. Right? You guys see that? That's the fellowship. When you walk out of here, Start talking with God about that life. Take something in your life that you think is an area of lack or an area of need. Don't feel ashamed about it. Don't feel any any certain kind of way about it. Start talking with God about that in light of his life. Tell him to show you what this situation you're dealing with looks like next to his life. Talk to him. Ask him to show you how his life deals with this, how his life supplies you with what you need in light of what you're going through. And start talking with him about this life, right? Whether you walk in the house, whether you're out gardening, whether you're riding on a boat, whether you're riding a bike, whether you're listening to worship, whether you're sitting in the doctor's office in the waiting room for two hours. Right? Start talking with God about this life and what that life looks like in light of what's happening to your earthen vessel and what you see, right? Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you, Father, for giving us your life in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us your life to refresh us, Father. Father, I just thank you that you... you, you ever live to minister this life to us, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, that you're discerning people's hearts today, that you're even uh, showing them how your life is their supply, how your life is the satisfaction of every desire they've ever had. Father, just thank you that you could see the places where people feel weakness and that you, you show them the strength that's in your life, Lord, that you manifest your life, that you minister your life to them in those places where they feel weakness, Lord, and they start to see that they are sharing with you in a life 
that isn't subject to the weakness of these mortal bodies, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you begin ministering to people that the life they share in with you isn't subject to the weakness they see in the world, that it isn't subject to the calamity they see in the world. I thank you, Father, that you catch people up into this fellowship with you and that this fellowship with you be centered around the word of your incorruptible life. I thank you, Father, that people be strengthened by your presence as they walk in this world, Lord, that they begin uh, finding something born in their heart where they're just drawn to you when they feel that they need something, that they're just drawn to you when they feel that they come behind, that they're just drawn to you when they feel affliction, that they're just drawn to you, Lord, when they feel weakness, that they're just drawn to you, Lord, when they feel brokenness. I thank you, Father, that you are catching people up into this intimacy with you where they see you there and not all the shortcomings. Thank you, Father that all the weaknesses and illnesses and depressions will fade to black in the presence of your life, Lord. I thank you, Father, that they become a distant memory in the presence of your life. I thank you, Father, that people be made whole in the name of Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you guys for coming and sitting here with me for so long. You are a great blessing. Thank you for singing happy birthday to my wife. That really meant something to me. Thank you so much. I think you made my wife cry. Tears of joy. Hallelujah.